This is episode six. This week's guest is Beatrice Leva Cutler, Executive Director of Bahia, which stands for Bay Area Hispano Institute for Advancement, and they are located in Berkeley, California. Bahia is a nonprofit organization that provides bilingual Spanish English child development services to working families. Being an advocate for change, Beatriz has been helping culturally diverse children and their families in this community for over 40 years. We discussed what inspired and motivated Beatriz to be courageous enough to take the helm of Bahia over 34 years ago without knowing what she was doing, how she would achieve what needed to be done, and how her vision for change would play out. Find out how Beatrice's voice became a force to be reckoned with. You're listening to Extraordinary Work, conversations about creating change. I'm Terry Yaffe, founder of Try Coaching. Throughout my career, I've worked in many industries from fashion to advertising to sales. I'm a certified executive, career, and business coach, and a TV and podcast host. This podcast will connect you with people who work passionately, striving to make a difference in their corner of the world. I hope these authentic and inspiring conversations will help you channel your ability to create change. Welcome. Gracias. Thank you. You're very welcome. It is so wonderful to have you here. And I know that it's really early in, in Berkeley, California. <laughs> so thank you for getting up so early to share today's conversation. No, thank you for inviting me. Tell us a bit about how you got to where you are today. Well, um, I age myself when I share that I got to where I'm today by answering a newspaper ad. <laughs> I was 24 and one year out of college with my BA and had a permit as a childcare teacher and just had one year full-time work experience as a preschool teacher in Head Start. More importantly, what interested me about this job that I was applying for was it was a bilingual preschool and I'm bilingual and had experience in bilingual childcare programs. The crazy part of this was after interviewing for the position, I did not get the job. So I did what any 24 year old would do. I said, time to go to Baja. And so when I returned, um, my mother told me to call the place I had applied to work. They were looking for me. I called back and to my surprise, they wanted to interview me again. The applicant they offered the job to decided after two weeks that it wasn't what he wanted. So I interviewed again this time and needless to say, I got the position. Then like eight years flashed by and I was offered by the then executive director to apply for the position because she was leading. The way she convinced me was by saying, do you really want someone to come in here and tell you how to run the program when you already know how to do this? And I thought about it for a bit. <laughs> and so I accepted the challenge and interviewed for the executive director. And here I am, almost 41 years with the organization. So it was definitely a crossroads experience. <laughs> that is so incredible. When you said, sure, I'll take the job as executive director, what was going through your mind at that point? It's interesting. The same year that I um, was offered the position, I also got married 
And we also expanded the program by one more additional childcare program for school-aged children. So it was a growing year like no other year that I've ever had. <laughs> it was just an amazing year where I just immersed myself in my work. Fortunately, I had my husband, mm. Nate, who really supported me throughout this. Tell us a bit about what you do and have done in creating change a, within the organization, and of course, within the community. After this, you know, getting married, job, new program, it took me really about two to three years to get my grounding as a new director. And once I felt I got this, I actually felt like an ostrich pulling my head out of the hole. It was then that I was finally confident to look around and see and hear what was going on for our students once they left our childcare programs. I wanted to learn how I can improve upon my community and this experience for our students and families when they leave our programs at age 10. Then I started to hear our families about the discrimination, the disparity, the disproportionality of Black and Latino students dropping out of Berkeley High School, never being reclassified in high school and staying for four years in ESL classes, never going into college readiness courses, the high suspension expulsion rate, and students not getting homework and falling behind after two weeks of expulsion, traditionally all Black and Latino students. It wasn't what's the matter with the student. It was for us in the community. What is the matter with the schools, the teachers, the direction of the school district? At that point, this has been going on for a long time and it had to stop. So we came together one morning and I believe it was like 1996. There's, I don't know, 75, 100 of us. We acknowledged the challenges there and how many we are and the voice we have in the city and the voice we need to be for the community. And it was us together in one room that we saw our potential and our collective power to organize and speak as one voice. We started to shine a light and show up at school board meetings and city council meetings. And we would invite our council and our school board, board members to our meetings to share our concerns and hear their actions to improve the conditions of Latino students and families in our schools in our city. We learned in this process, there was another group of parent, concerned parents and advocates who were also meeting and had foreign parents of African-American descent, PCAD. Each group agreed to bring our groups together while also respectfully holding our own meetings and our issues. We knew our collective voice became bigger and louder if we united. Mm. So we formed another group called United in Action. And in our United in Action group, we were black, brown, progressive whites working with us. From the work of this group, the vision was formed and established to call for urgent action to make educational success, equity, and outcomes for our community a community-wide priority. To this day, I'm proud to say, it's still a priority for our city, community, and our school district. This actually became the boilerplate for what we call in California the Local Control and Accountability Plan. It's still an initiative that both our city and our school district fund and support. Has everything you've done changed the trajectory of what takes place in the school system? It has. For me, it was another part, another, another, uh, once again, the challenge. And we were in a meeting and we also realized that the only way things are going to change if we change the school board to look like us. And so in the room, we say, okay, who of us wants to run for school board? And a few of us raised our hands. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to run a, a, for office. I was like, I never ever thought about it, <laughs> but fortunately there was a group called uh, here in and throughout some several states, Emerge, and this is Emerge California, which prepares democratic women for political office. I applied to be part of their cohort and upfront told them I want to run for school board and I don't know a thing about it. <laughs> and I'm proud to say that 
I'm part of many women here in the Bay Area who have been elect, who were part of Emerge, including our mayor in San Francisco, uh, London Breed. Just being part of this group was inspiring in itself and, and inspires leadership. Obviously, you won in 2008, yes. 2012, and 2016. So I guess your voice was loud enough that they kept you <laughs> on board. Yeah, well, it does help. I have to say, along the way, unknowing to me, I was building a network of being part of Bahia, many children and families passing through our, my, our program. My name was getting out there in terms of being an advocate in the community. And an advocate you have been. The program, the Bahia, when we talk about it, so this is just my understanding, you take care of children two to 10? We've grown the program up to four programs that I've under my leadership. Actually, through COVID, have had to reduce down our programs down to two right now at this point. I hope to grow it back to at least three programs. The families need support. And I've always been an advocate for childcare and for working families. But this COVID, the silver lining in this is that childcare has been lifted mm. from just being a babysitting uh, group of working women, predominantly women of color, to being an essential service to working families and to the economy and to the communities that we live in. I'm, I'm encouraged by that, but I'm also supportive of the many other childcare programs, both public and private. What's your sense when these kids go through the program and then they integrate into schools, society. What, from your perspective, what are you seeing? What I've seen is that first as an executive director, when we care and teach and support our children and families in childcare, then they go into the public school system, something that handoff is not there, that handoff of here's this student, here's this family, you know, welcome them. That wasn't part of the experience that children were having back when I first started. It's a growing movement towards that in terms of having welcoming schools, in terms of having parent liaisons in our schools. It's not just about the school. It's also about the community and the families and how we welcome them into our schools and how we invite them to also be part of the decision-making process. It sounds like really creating change within a community. Correct. Okay. Which together is stronger with so many voices rather than one person waving a flag. I think that's amazing. And, you know, you're going to be leaving. How do you see the baton passing to somebody else? Or alternatively, how the voices can continue to rise up and support the community? I've always been part of groups that were learning and growing. That's always been part of me, to be part of a social action and be in the room with women leaders, that it's not about me. When people ask you, what's your pronouns? I feel my pronouns. I feel strongly behind we and us. Those are my pronouns because I didn't run for school board for Beatriz. I ran for school board for the community, for the families, for the children. Yeah, I, I love that you take the spotlight off of you and put it onto community. I find that to be so inspiring 
it's just wonderful to see there are still voices and advocates for communities. Yeah, there is. I actually am part of a new community now too. I'm part of a East Bay Child Care Directors Group. We're both public and private child care centers and family daycare providers that we've started to organize and come together. So again, I'm still part of a, a movement, an action group. And that informs me, that helps me hear that I share what I know and they share what we know. And we come up with solutions and, and action steps together. It's not because it's Beatriz's big idea. It's because it's our big idea. Very powerful, really, for any one of us that wants to create change and looks towards a community to be able to do this, if I might ask. What do you hope will be your legacy within Bahia and your community as you may shift your focus to other things? Well, I hope my legacy will be that Bahia will always be on the side of celebrating and lifting the Latino and our diverse community here in Berkeley, that we will be there, that we'll stand by and be present and vocalize the issues that are impacting our community. You know, one of the things that I feel has also influenced my leadership is that I live, work, socialize, and support my community and being here. When you live one place and you work someplace else, it's very difficult and challenging, but when you live and work and breathe the, the community that you live in, it makes a difference. It makes a difference. I think that has fed my passion and my commitment to be dedicated to, to this place that I think, have my finger on the pulse over the years about what's going on with housing, our homeless, our, our community. It's really helped to be engaged in your own community. As you look back over your long career and accomplishments, did you ever think this is where you'd be now in your career, in your life? What are your thoughts on that? It's funny. I just watched this movie on Netflix called Adam's Project. And this child season, this man time travels back to when he was 12 years old. Mm. And I was thinking about that. Wow. To see myself at 12 years old. No, I would have been expected that um, I'd be where I'm at right now. I grew up in a very traditional Mexican household. We spoke only Spanish. My parents had less than a fifth grade education. My father's aspirations was that I was going to get married and have babies. That was it. <laughs> he never was supportive of college education, didn't support us while we went to college, my sister and I. So no, I, I never expected this. It was a much a surprise to me, <laughs> but I was inching along, I think. And somewhere along the line, I tried to pull it together. The years went by fast. I always tell people I was having fun. <laughs> when you're having fun, the years flash by. But I didn't, I never thought that I would be here. You know, if I had thought about it, I should have paused. I should have taken a pause in my career at some point where there was a sabbatical time off to really think about what I wanted to be in my plan for when I retire. I didn't take that time. And if I tell, if I could share anything to anybody, is take a pause, give yourself some time to really reflect about where you want to be. And then you have to make the personal and financial plans for how you're going to get there. It's never too late. <laughs> so here you are now taking a pause, reflecting where you've been, where you are. What do you see yourself moving forward? 
I'm going to take the 12-step program on how to say no. <laughs> I feel that I'm going to try to take at least three to six months to decompress and figure out what I want to do. I have some idea. It's definitely around leadership building, the next generation. I don't know how it's going to transform itself or look like, but I definitely know that I, I still know a lot mm. <laughs> about the work that I've been doing. I still want to keep and in, stay involved and in being an advocate. I, I haven't decompressed and I haven't taken time off. The only time I took off was from having my children or when my husband passed away. So I definitely need the time off. So that's what I'm working towards at this point. Of course. And then try to shape where I want to be in the next couple of years. You touched upon leadership building for the next generation. I know you really haven't given a lot of thought, but maybe here we are. You could just give a thought as to what that means for you. One of the things that I've learned about leadership and people think about this is these are people who you know like to be in the limelight, like to talk, like to speak, but it really is about humility. Leadership is learning how to be humble and, and sometimes be silent to really hear and really listen to what what's needed, what needs to happen. It's not hiding your voice when you're hearing what's going on. It's really is about embracing it, embracing it. I really think it is about how do we touch that place in us that is about humility and it's about listening, it's being real with people. And sometimes that gets clogged up with the way you think you have to be with others. And it's really about sometimes all people want is you just to be yourself to be humble, to be silent as a leader so that you really can take their message and lift it. This is so on target, which I'm sure you know, as to what's going on today with the redefinition of what a leader means. Employees, people are looking for leaders to be authentic, to be real, to be humble, to as I say, obviously, as a coach, to look out and see what's wanted and needed rather than jumping in and thinking they have the answers. To step back, to listen, to be engaged, not just with one source, but the different places that, that speak to your community. Because, you know, what's, what's an experience for a Latino child in our schools might is different for a Black student in our schools. And so we have to listen to this. There's differences, there's likeness, but we have solutions together. We can find solutions together. I believe that. And I believe there's more of us that think this way than there are others who think differently. And unfortunately, they get the loudest voice. Some of our elected officials, it's still about the old school, the old way of, of doing business. And that has to change. What it sounds like is you want to be at the forefront of helping change the paradigm of what leadership looks like and means, especially for your community. Is that fair to say? Yes, it's fair to say that. There's so many things that new leadership is dealing with that has been, it's been growing. And it, during this whole COVID period, it's doubled up, tripled what we used to, what we handled. One of the parts that's very important also that I learned late in life and my kids would tell you that I still don't have a handle on that. And that's the self-care and the time to regenerate 
and regroup yourself and take care of yourself. So my hunch is, is that we come to a crossroads in our lives when we choose to let go. And that's so difficult. Being so involved for so many years, being an advocate, be, having immersed yourself in this community. And now it's kind of taking a step back for a while and letting go and then looking around and saying, wait a second, what can I replace that emptiness or that space with? Yeah. And it sounds like the place to start is with yourself. It's definitely, it's to start with myself, start to be more reflective. And again, you know, what's brought me here, what's nurtured me, definitely it's been family. Definitely it's my family, my home, my children, my granddaughters, grandchildren. And so you go back to the things that have, have always been there, mm -hmm. but now you're going to shine a light more on them. <laughs> um, because that is what has nurtured my soul all along. I don't think I could have done it if I didn't have my uh, my family, my children. While you're shining a light, make sure to shine a light on yourself because that's what's really important is taking care of you. You've taken care of so many people. Now it's taking care of you and feeding your soul with your family, with whatever else is important to you. And then kind of coming back out into the world and seeing, okay, what do I want to do now? Where can I take all of this amazing experience and advocacy? And where do you want to share it? Well, definitely with my childcare workforce, my family, my community, career, that's, that's where it starts. You know, now the children that I started off with are, are parents in our program. And so there, there's definitely a full circle there. It's about giving back as well from the kids growing up and now the circle about them coming back to give back. Yes. It's because the experience that they had with us. And so well, I, I am very hopeful that we will continue that kind of experience, you know, that children can reach back and know, mm -hmm. oh, I remember Bahia and I remember the good food we had, the chilaquiles, mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the food that they ate, the teachers that they have. Exactly. Before we end, is there anything you'd like to add? That there's a place for everyone, whether it's to be the host of something, to be the worker bee, be part of the leadership. There's a place for everyone when you want change. See yourself as part of the solution. Come with ideas, support ideas, be a partner in the change you want to see. We all have a place. And it might just be to make the protest signs. It might be to sign a petition but be part of change, be part of something bigger than you. I love that. I wouldn't know how to end this other than on that note, be part of something bigger than yourself. Beatrice, this has been so wonderful. I so appreciate your getting up so early to have the conversation with me. Thank you so much. Gracias, Terry. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you for joining the conversation. For related content on extraordinary work, visit my website, 
trycoaching.com. I'll be back in two weeks with another conversation. Be sure to follow this podcast so you don't miss an episode. If this resonates with you, I welcome your rating and review. Always remember, when you work with passion and purpose, your work can become extraordinary 